Okay guys, welcome back to part two of Dune. This movie is longer than probably our episode, so. <laughs> Do you want to start or do you want me to start? So next we see the family fly into the city and there is desert and there's sand. And we see that they have walls and barriers from the sandstorm and the worms. I don't think I've ever noticed or maybe even cared, but like this planet is like no joke. Like this place will kill. And not care which like which like I think is wild. You know? Mm -hmm. They establish like mining and the family just has to be there. Like, why not send people while staying in the family home? And I think I asked this question already. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Definitely. So what do you think of the planet as well as the new home for House of Trees compared to the one they just left? Mm-hmm. I'm asking you that. Oh, you're asking me that? Yeah. Hmm. I would have to say that it's very like they're kind of the same, honestly. Like they're very big and open and spacious. Yeah. Like they're very grand buildings, but it's also like a very stark contrast yeah. of like the greenery versus like the orange sand. Yeah. Yeah. Like you went from water and life to yeah. dust and sand. Yeah. I think that's a really good, like, juxtaposition, though. Yeah. And very, like, out of the element of House Atreides, you know? Of course. Also, Atreides is such a badass name. That's such a cute name to have. Atreides or Harkonnen. I love Atreides. Like, that's such a cute name. I might name my son that. Who knows? Don't. Lysander Atreides Holmes. Mm. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'd advise that you don't. Why? So we see Leto and Thanos scouting out what they have to work with from their palace, and he makes adjustments to see how he sees fit, and tells Thanos that everything is too quiet. And they make a joke that even when you shower, you scrub your butt with sand. Mm -hmm. Fun. So the next scene, we see Lady Jessica being introduced to her new housemaids, and as she looks at all of them, she stops at one and asks her for her name. She tells Lady Jessica that her name is Shadow Meeps, and Jessica tells everyone to leave except for Shadow. And Jessica is like... I know who you are, you're Fremen. And Shadow is like, okay, cool, God, we established that. She's like, I know many things, like how you have a weapon on you, and tells Shadow that whatever she plans on doing will not be enough. And Shadow is like, okay, cool, anyway, this weapon is a gift to welcome you here. Mm -hmm. So Shadow reveals the weapon to be a Krisk knife, and Shadow is like, do you know what this means? And Jessica, like sensing trouble, signs to her guards to prepare for violence. As Shadow starts wailing, it explains the knife means the maker of the deep desert. And she apologized for being a fangirl for a second. She was just excited to see the prophecy coming true. She gives Jessica the knife and tells her it's the tooth of a sandworm. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was cool. I know. And I thought that was like an important tool until I realized all the Fremen just have it. <laughs> yeah and it didn't hit me until especially at the very end until they were like especially when Zydea's character says like oh hey this is the tooth from like the sandworm you know like they worship one sandworm one particular one and she's like that's the tooth from him so dying. I don't think it's that they worship one sandworm oh. I think it's that they worship all of them oh. I don't know I think the wording is just sounds a little weird because they want to sound interesting but I think they don't work I think they worship all of them not mm. just one okay cool because there's more than one sandworm on Arrakis isn't, isn't there yeah yeah so it wouldn't make sense it's not like you can really tell them apart they'll kill you before you get a chance 
So then we see uh, scenes of like the sun like beating down on palm trees. And we see the people with their blue eyes and they see Paul and they keep calling to him the Messiah from their dark dungeon. Mm-hmm. I think that's where they are. But like, I also think it's like they're trying to escape the sun, you know? Mm-hmm. So everybody just gathers there because it's the darkest. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So Paul says hello to someone watering the palm trees, which seems like a waste of water to me. And I know it's just a flex, but I think it's just downright disrespectful. Definitely. So, and we literally learn that the trees are not even native to this place and that each tree takes up the drinking water for five men. Mm-hmm. That's insane. And there's that's 20 of them. There's like makes up 20 of them, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, are you fucking serious? Very. Did that piss you off? Because piss me off. Piss me off. And Paul is like, maybe we should save the water. And the guy's like, fuck no. These are sacred, you dumb fuck. Mm-hmm. So next we see the inside of the new Atreides home. And they have like a mural of a sandstorm, which I think looks so cool. Like, I know the Harkonnens are evil, but they really didn't know how to spend their money. <laughs> Got him. We said that Paul is learning about sandworms and how dangerous they are. And they are long as fuck. Like, they can grow up to 400 meters. Who measured? Like, I feel like they just use something to scale, to be honest. That's crazy. They just draw out a big 400-meter-long line in the desert and just hoped it lined up next to it. Literally. So Paul also learns that he should avoid making rhythmic noises in the desert, which can attract the sandworm. What the freemen do to avoid all this is to cross the desert spaces using the sandwalk, which is basically just sliding across the sand with an irregular rhythm. It's supposed to emulate the natural sounds of the desert. I just want to know who figured that one out. I mean, it's kind of like... I mean, we've kind of been doing stuff like that forever. Yeah. Like, armies march so that the enemy can't tell, like, how many people are there. Because mm-hmm. it all just sounds like one set of footsteps. Mm. I mean, granted, it's a lot. So you know there's going to be more than one, obviously, but you yeah. don't know how many. Yeah. Where if it's everyone's marching to their own beat, they yeah. can tell. But, like... It makes sense, though, because mm-hmm. you see towards the end, she has that machine that thumps mm-hmm. regularly mm-hmm. to attract the thing. Mm-hmm. But my, my, I just wonder, like, how sensitive are the sandworms, though? You I know? know. It seems like they're hella sensitive. Like. Because like that thing in the anime was just like, thump, thump. Yeah, it's called a thumper. Thump. Which I thought was so stupid. Like, wow, this thing doesn't get a cool name. Nope, thumper. <laughs> Go on. You don't want to take over? No. I'm gonna take over. Uh, and so Paul learns about like plant life on the on the planet, you know, and how it survives. And Paul like notices this bug that like kind of looks like a mechanical mosquito. And Paul just like keeps watching it, and then it like hides. He hides. Yeah, and then you know he hides in this like holographic documentary he was watching as he notices uh, his protective gear is on his bed. It could have been it, man. Literally, right. And so uh, the bug gets closer to him to point its needle, like this needle's about to stick him in the eye, and you're like, uh, 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 and like, but this gets interrupted when uh, a shadow, like, randomly Shadow. Wa- shadow. I said shadow. You said shadow. Oh, sorry. Shadow. My bad. When shadow randomly walks in, the bug is about to attack her, but Paul stops and destroys it, and she was like, um, what was that? And he's like, it's a hunter seeker. I guess. That sounds like something from Harry Potter, bro. Sounds like something from Hunger Games. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, and Paul's like, whoever did this had to be in close range, because I guess they work like drones. And so we see the general and, like, all the soldiers are, like, trying to see 
that some uh, Harkonnen soldier was like hiding in the walls for six weeks. Literally. Which is like like controlling it, and mm-hmm. I was like, dude, that's like way too much, man. That's crazy. And so the duke, the general is like, oh, apologies to the duke and lady, but like, uh, how would they have known? They would have had to like blow up the wall to get to the guy. Yeah. And Leto was like pissed, and I'm like, yeah, I understand your frustration, but mm-hmm. also like, Paul's alive, bro. He's good. Mm-hmm. So next we see the Reverend Mother again, but first we see her pet, and it's a tarantula wolf. Tarantula wolf. Tarantula wolf. Tarantula wolf. Guys, I'm gonna tell you right now, that thing looks like a head of a penis with arms sticking out. Tarantula wolf. Christian, did you see it? I saw it. Does it not look like that? It's a tarantula wolf. Christian, did it not look like that though? It looked like a penis with arms. It's a tarantula wolf. Christian, please confirm. It looked like a tarantula. Christian, it literally went like this. Like, you know how, like. (laughs) It looked like a tarantula. Like, here's the hole, and this is what it did. Like, it literally looked like a tarantula wolf. Christian, what does a tarantula wolf look like? Like a tarantula, like a tarantula wolf. I'm telling you, it looked like the head of a penis. Like, I'm not even joking. (laughs) Does it not? It does. (laughs) Oh my god. So we see the Reverend Mother is at the house Harkonnen, and the Baron asks her what message the Emperor has for him. She tells him that the Emperor will strengthen his hand with his army, and that they should keep this little info to themselves. The Baron sells says that Atreides have no satellites so that they will die in the dark. And we don't really get what that means, but we will. Hope we will. Oh, we will. So the Reverend is like, okay, cool, do what you want with Leto, but Jessica's ours as well as her son, so don't touch them. And the Reverend tells the Baron it would be best if they just exiled them both. The Baron is like, alright, we will not harm, because I don't want to break this deal with you. And I couldn't tell if he was lying or not. I was like, you sound serious, but I feel like he you're was lying. lying. Because technically they don't get harmed, but I feel like that was more out of their own doing than the Barons. Yeah. Yeah. So the Reverend is like, okay, cool, then leaves. And then leaves. Literally, she's like, all right, bye. That's literally what she does. She said. As soon as the conversation ends, she says. <laughs> <laughs> I am no longer required. So I guess the Baron's like assistant or whatever. I don't know, his right-hand man. You know that guy in Mulan who's like, Annoying General Shang the whole yeah. time. That that's the equivalent of this guy. So Mulan. No. Or Lee, my bad. Is that his name? Ping. No, no, no. Remember when um, he's that guy with a really long mustache. He wears that blue outfit. He always looks like this. He's like. I know you're talking about the the Emperor's consul. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess he's a consul, but they're like, hey, we can't really afford to let the sun live, but we also can't break the treaty. And the Baron's like, I won't hurt them, but the desert will. And like, you cue an evil laugh. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, 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 he kind of starts floating and he talks about how he knows the planet better than anyone. But like, he has like this long sheath thing going on. And I know like it's supposed to be intimidating, but he just looks like a goth mermaid. Mm-hmm. Goth mermaid. I don't know. I did, like. I thought it was weird how he like floated everywhere, and if you notice it, like, in the end of the movie, mm-hmm. when he kills that one guy who brought in Leto, when mm-hmm. he floats down, his foot like kind of hits the table, like when he's coming down. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that or not. No. But I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I said towards the end. It's like halfway through. So next we cut to Paul walking in on his first strategy meeting, mm-hmm. and his father comes in right after him, and he calls the meeting to start. 
So we learn that they have taken over the account books that the Harkonnens left behind, and it's discovered that they took a lot of money. A lot of money. And we are told that Atreides will not be seeing any numbers like that because of the old equipment that was left behind. And let us ask how bad is the equipment. Like, sir, you didn't check when you got there? Honestly, you've been here for a month and you're talking Literally, like, I thought they were already making spice into, into fuel or whatever, but, it's like, it's seeming like they haven't been doing nothing. Oh, it's not, it's not fuel, by the way. What is it? Like, the, pi- the captains of, sp- or navigators of, like, mm. spaceships just consume that shit. And they're like, go that way. Like in a in a drug fueled like, like it like allows them to like figure out like how to get through space, like it's not it's not starship fuel. It's navigator like the navigators on the ship get high and figure out where to go. Which is arguably worse. That sounds so made up right now. Um, it doesn't make any sense. I promise you, it's it's called like the the navigators guild. Like, look it up. On God, I didn't make that shit up. That's in the book. Like, they use spice to, like, figure out where to go in space. That's stupid. Yeah. It happens. So the next scene, we see the whole meeting group outside to see what equipment they have to work with. Where they see they have some things to hold spice silos, but the Harkonnens only left them with 12, when their max is probably 12 times that. Yeah. I was like, when I saw, when they were like... Okay, so the way this scene is shot is they're Six. walking past the silos. We see the silos, like, from them. They're tall, they're massive. And then it wide cuts to, like, those same silos and then just empty space. And you're like... And how how many points I need to pass? Six. Six. And ha- Ooh, hundred. Hundred. You had six hundred. You had six. <laughs> anyway... So Paul is like, uh, isn't there someone that like can oversee the change so something like this doesn't happen? And they're uh, and they have one the emperor chose or whatever. And uh, so Leto's like, all right, we'll go on a spice run and bring the overseer of change with us. And so finally we see Nuck in Idaho again. He's looking, you know, like himself. Finer than ever. Mm-hmm. And Paul's super excited to see him after so long. It's been a month. I know. So Idaho tells us that he lived with the Fremen in the desert for four weeks in a community called the Siege. And or uh, Seich, I think it's Seich. Seich, yeah. and Leto asks like, "Oh, how? It's like hit, hidden." And uh, Idaho explains like, "Oh, it's underground." And Paul's like, "Oh, how big was it?" And he's and Paul's like, "Oh," and he tells Paul like, "Oh, at least like ten thousand people and millions of Fremen." And so Idaho can tells uh, continues continues to tell him that the Fremen stay hidden and only come out when they want to be seen. He searched for them for days until they sent one of them to kill me, like kill. Idaho, that mm-hmm. is. And I tell him that he never came so close to death. They're, they fight like demons. And so we meet Stilgar, who is the leader of the siege, and he does not listen to any guards or lords. He's like, okay. He just walks in there, bro. He's like, sup, nerds. And Leto welcomes him and tells him that he respects any man that respects his own dignity as well as Leto's. And Stilgar hears this and is like, alright, cool, and then like spits, and the guards are like, huh? And uh, like the guards are like, was that like like spitting? It's like spitting at someone, but it wasn't like that. If that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, oh, I just messed up my glasses. I'm sorry. And Leto was like, "Hold on." And Idaho thanks Stilgar for giving the moisture from his body and the spirit for which it was given. So like they have like a really like, mm-hmm. like they they also wear still suits. Like water is like sacred to them, mm-hmm. you know, because like gotta live. Yeah. And so by spitting towards him, he's giving up some water. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. And so uh. 
So Leto tells him that it's like, oh, you know, I think we can work together. And Stilgar is like, you're only here for spice and you will give nothing to us. And Paul speaks up and says, that's true. You know? Mm-hmm. And Leto's like, okay, anyway, name your price and we'll grant it. Stilgar is like, I do not, uh, is like, do not look for us. Do not cross the desert and trespass our lands. Ooh. <laughs> Leto tells him that the Emperor gave him Arrakis. Right? Yeah. Yay! Yay! To protect and look over. One eternity later. So he makes no promises of her going into the desert, but the sieges are still Stilgar to have, and promises him that his people will not be hunted as long as Atreides is in power. Stilgar tells Leto that this is admirable, but he must go. And Paul's like, please, you won't stay. You won't stay, mister! Mister! Mister, you won't stay! And Paul's like, we would honor you, and Stilgar tells Paul that honor has required him to be elsewhere. And he tells him in his language that he recognizes Paul. The general tells Leto that the plane bears fruit. The plan? It... Oh my god. Like if the plan bears fruit. I'm so high, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> the general tells Leto that the plan bears fruit, but it will take a long time to build trust between them and the Fremen. So next we see in the military locker room, and Paul and Idaho are just hanging out, doing bro things. Right. Like giving Paul a working compass. Paul makes the assumption that the Fremen built it, and Idaho's like, yeah, Yeah. and sand compactors. It looks like a really big wand, and they don't tell us what it does. Mm -hmm. Also, Jason Momoa with facial hair, like, no facial hair is, like, so weird. Like, he looks like a completely different man. Mm -hmm. My goodness. We cut to the spice workers working on essentially whatever they got left to work with, and we oversee a news report for the workers. So you know that it's early morning and the temperature is 90 degrees, and the high is 140, and in the next 10 minutes the temperature is going to rise to 120. Mm. Oh my god! Hot. I know. And so we get to watch how spice is collected. Mm -hmm. They have this uh, flying ship with like parachutes on it, and it latches onto this big like tank thing that can like drive as like tracks and whatnot. Yeah. And so we see uh we meet the Lord of like the change, Dr. Uh Leap Kynes or Keynes. Mm-hmm. Uh and so uh Yeah. Sorry. Anyway. And so Keynes is a Fremen, mm-hmm. but by the way, and you know, blue eyes and everything. And Paul like thanks her for the suits that they're wearing. And Keynes is like, Yeah, this is the best a suit made from the idea of the Fremen. Mm-hmm. And if I could check yours so you'll trust me, but also to show I'm not a threat, I'm here to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. And so she checks that the suit that the still suit or she, sorry. So she Keynes explains that the still suit is a high efficiency filtration system. Uh, that even the er, in the early morning of the day we all wouldn't survive two hours without one. The suit is able to cool the body and recycles the water lost to sweat. The body's movements provide the power, and inside the mask that they wear, there's a tube inside that allows the wear, the, whoever wears the suit to drink the recycled water. So, what do you think about the suit? I really like it. It's a good idea. Damn, they thought of everything, is Dude, what I'm thinking. Drinking your own sweat and piss. Dude, literally. Anyway. And so Keynes goes to check Paul's suit and asks, like, oh, have you ever worn one? He says, no, this is the first time. And he's like, okay, but your desert boots are fitted, like, slip fashion at the ankles. Who taught you that? Paul's like, it just made sense. Which, I guess, makes sense. You yeah. Know? And, uh, <laughs> and so Keynes uh, speaks in the Fremen language and says, uh, uh, he shall know your ways as though born to them. And, like, she's kind of, like, reciting, like, yeah. their prophecy about, yeah. like, their messiah. Mm-hmm. Which, I feel like everyone knows something except for Paul. Literally! Anyway. And Paul's like, all right, cool. I just want to look cool with my neat little sneakers. And uh, so we finally see the, the dunes. We see the dune. An hour in, we, f- we see dune. 
the wear down. Uh, and it's just a lot of sand, you know? Yeah. Uh, would you want to play in the sand? Low-key, but it looks hard to walk in. And hot. <laughs> and so while they're flying in those dragonfly planes, uh, Paul asks Keen, so what would happen if they crash? And she's like, I hope it's not worm territory. <laughs> Valid. And so we see a dust cloud as they enter, as they fly close to the extractor machine. Mm-hmm. And it kind of looks like it's driving over the sand, picking up dust. And Keynes explains that this is a rich spice bed because of the surrounding color. And you see, like, it looks a little bit reddish, if uh-huh. that makes sense. And Keynes also explains a little small circle drone-looking things are worm spotters. And they're trying to make sure that they can see a worm headed towards the machine if it yeah. does happen. She explains that the worms travel deep and get closer to the surface to eat. And that if they wait around too long enough, that uh, they could see one. They should see they one. They should see one, yeah. my bad. That's important. Which, like... How common do you think worm attacks are? Because when she said that, we should you if we wait around long enough, we should see one. Yeah. Which means this happens at least once a day. I mean, I don't know. Maybe not once a day, but That's like, what I'm saying. At least. Like you're lucky if we only get one worm today. Yeah. That's what, what I'm saying. They pay me in worms. And so Paul's like, why don't we just shield our machines? And Keynes is like, because the worms would know and they would just bring more worms. <laughs> Which is like, what would you do if you saw like multiple worms coming after you? I will pray. They pay me worms. And Leto points out like a worm they see in the distance, and Keynes is like, "Yeah, it's a big one too." And Keynes uh, calls it in, like, "Oh, who is this?" And she's like, "I'm on imperial business, and the worm is north of you." They're so just trusting. They're like, "Who? Who are you? Who is this?" Hey, what? What's the matter? <laughs> Forget about it. And so they watch the worm get closer, and the operators on the spice machine wait for, like, the parachute thing to come down and take them in. And Keynes explains that they harvest until the very last second. So they're trying to get as much spice as possible. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, which is kind of sad, too, because I feel like these people, since they work for the Harkonnens, mm-hmm. like, they're kind of, like, don't even care about their own lives. I know. If that makes sense? Yeah. And so we watched as the docking sequence goes forward, but then one of the straps to take them, like, off the machine mm. breaks and the anchor to lift them is gone. And so everyone is panicking as we hear the radio sequence. And the worm is, like, getting closer. They said mm. it's only, like, four minutes away from them. And Leto's like, all right, well, um, uh, each crew team has 21 members, but each little dragonfly plane that they have can hold three. But they're three short, but I think I can find a way. Yeah. So they land and, uh, or not they land, but like, so Leto pulls this maneuver where the plane is basically free falling and then they pull up at the last second, almost landing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they radio the crews that they're there to save them and Leto tells Paul to guide them in and he wants uh, seven men in each of the ships now. Mm-hmm. And so we see uh, Paul's feet like in the sand. Like, great shot, by the way. Yeah. Like he, this is his first time in the sand, uh-huh. if that makes sense. Like, we don't see his face. Like, we just see his feet. And the first step into the sand, we hear, like, a big thump, reminding us that the worm can hear that, too. And which each step Paul takes, like, it seems like he has familiarity to it. Yeah. And so, uh, we see Paul in the midst of all this. He touches the sand and just, like, lets it go through his fingers. But we can, like, see the spice. Like, it's, like, glittering in the uh-huh. sand, if that makes sense. And we see... All the men coming out to help the crew members uh, try and escape as the parachute ship parachute ship starts to like let go of their remaining anchors, and so Leto radios in like, "Oh, it's taking so long," and they're like, "Oh, you know, we're following protocol and whatever," and uh, they're getting dressed to, like go outside and they climb it, like putting on their still suits, mm-hmm. and uh, they tell Leto that we have a full tank of spice, and Leto's like, "Fuck the spice," 
And so a worm is not out of the sand heading right for them, and it's ready to, like, go, you know. And uh, as more people are uh, crawling out of Spice uh, Crawler, uh, there's this huge dust cloud that gets whipped up. And so uh, what did you notice about, like, the sound track here? It's completely and utterly silent. Like, there is no music. Nothing. Yeah. And so... We see the sand and spice and gulf Paul, and he just starts hearing voices, which, like, brings him to his knees, because it's, like, a lot. Yeah. Also, he's being exposed to spice for the first time. Yeah. So, Keynes is making more room uh, for everyone on the crawler, and uh, everyone makes it on board except for Paul, who's just kneeling in the sand. And his dad and uh, the Thanos character starting to freak out about him. And so, Paul recognizes uh, the footsteps from the guy, you know, just like the worm. And uh, Paul and Thanos just start running, like, Olympic sprinting, trying to get to the thing before the worm shows up. And there's this uh, hill. They're, they're just sprinting, trying to get onto the ship and get out of here, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, by the way, I guess, like, the worm doesn't, like, just open its mouth mm-hmm. or whatever. It kind of, like, it gets below it and, like, mm-hmm. lets it, lets all, like, it fall in. Like, it just kind of opens its mouth and just lets mm-hmm. everything fall in. It doesn't, like, chase after its yeah. food. And so... Thanos and Paul are sinking because of the warmth vibrations. Also, it vibrates so much it causes like the sand to like liquefy. Kind yeah. Of. Not like literally turn liquid, but you like sink in it like quicksand almost. Mm-hmm. Wild. And uh, they're starting to sink, but Leto's able to pick them up and they fly away. And the spice crawler just gets inhaled by the worm. And mm-hmm. it's a huge thing. And Keynes just says a little prayer, like to say to bless the maker and his water. Bless the coming and going of him. May his passage clean, cleanse the world and keep the world for his people. Mm. Wholesome. We see them all land back safely to their palace, and Leto gets on to Paul for being reckless. And Leto tells Keynes that she has witnessed that the Harkonnens had set them up to fail. And Keynes gives the most excuses of excuses by saying, His equipment is old, and the desert is not kind to any of this stuff. And I kind of love how the people that live here are like, Hey, you either adapt or die. Mm hmm. Leto tells her bad things will happen if they don't get the spice numbers back up, and Keynes tells them that she has no say or part in any of that, and tells Leto to take care of his family. Mm-hmm. So next we cut to Paul with his pediatrician, and he gives him, uh, to me, what looks like a massage, but I think he's just getting an exam done. Mm-hmm. His doctor tells him that he is fine, he's just sensitive right now because of all the spice he was exposed to. Jessica, who was there the whole time while he got his checkup, tells her that he had a vision and that it wasn't just an allergic reaction to the spice. Jessica asks Paul what he saw, and he s- and we see this vision, and it's Paul joined with Zendaya as they go through the dunes together to find out the voices he heard from earlier was her voice. So we see the two kiss, which I didn't think we were going to get until the next movie, mm-hmm. and I'm not mad about it because a win for one of us is a win for all of us. <laughs> okay. Anyway, and he's like super into it, and they kind of like, you know, they're da- they're, like, they're dancing with it, like, and then she stabs him with like the knife. And he mm-hmm. like falls to his knees in front of the crawler, and he's like ble- bleeding and dying in this vision, and it's pretty wild. Yeah. And Paul tells his mom that he thought he felt himself dying, but he knew it wasn't the end because he knew that the knife was important. And so, we cut to Jessica studying the knife in, the, in these ruins, or something. Uh, but there are words that uh, we can't really read, you know. Like mm-hmm. we, we, I think she knows what it is, but we don't know, yeah. as the audience don't know what it is. And the words are kind of growing across her face. So Paul continues to tell her that he knows someone will give him this blade, but he doesn't know who or what or when that will happen. He also tells her that he knows many things, like, oh, you're pregnant, by the way. Uh, he knows that, it, uh, 
First off, no. Why do you think that? Just the way that they are towards each other. It's so weird. Like, no. No, this movie is weird. It's just the way this scene plays out. Like, like Timothy Chalamet is smiling at her. Like, it's more like a half smile. And Jessica is like, I barely even knew, but it's only been a few weeks. And it's just like, the vibe is weird. Like an incest weird. It's not the vibes. It's... But do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's Like, weird. their relationship is weird. They're very weird. I don't like it. Like, mm. <laughs> So we cut to Salosa Secundus. Who? Mm. That's a spell right there. I'll say it again. <laughs> Sal- Salusa? Secundus. Secundus. The Imperial Army Planet. And we get throat singing that we kind of heard at the beginning of the movie. And we see, like, hundreds of soldiers get, like, three They figure- said... Um, so we get three finger strokes of blood on their uniforms and their forehead on some sort of war ritual. <laughs> we see where they got the blood from as it pours into pool for the people who are painting the soldiers' faces. We see rows of people hanging upside down from their throats being carved open. It's just a really gruesome sight. Yummy. Like I said, ew. ew. Like that's so like, where did they get those people from? They're probably slaves. <gasps> that's awful. Or just anyone, honestly. If I was random people, they just killed them. That's awful, bro. So one of the soldiers asks why Harkonnen needs them when they easily outnumber House Atreides. And the spokesperson for Harkonnen tells them that Atreides' legions are the finest in the Imperium because they have Thanos and Idaho. Hmm. And the Sardarkin soldier is like, we are the best, blah, 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 blah. And the Harkonnen spokesperson is like, yeah... Great. Three battalions, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Sarkadin soldier says that if the Emperor commands it, then it is done. <coughs> so next we cut to Jessica, who's been crying since the moment she got on this planet. She's like, I hate it here. Goes to let Literally her in. you. Shut up. Goes- Shut up. Goes to Leto, and she tells him there's something he should know about Paul. But Leto is like, I don't think I want to know. Mm-hmm. Leto tells her that their son hasn't been the same since the Reverend Mother... He tells her that she gave him a son, and he has grown, and he has trusted her completely. Now it's her turn, too. Leto asks her if anything were to happen to him, would she protect her son? And she tells him with her life, and he tells her that he's not asking his mother, he's asking the Ben Gesserit. He asks her again if she would protect Paul, and she asks why he's thinking like this, and they share an intimate moment, and he confesses to her that he thought they would have more time, as we see a small figurine of a bull in a bullfighter. <laughs> That's so sad. Back to the bullfighting. Yeah. So we see that it was Paul who was the one staring at it when the pediatrician walks in, and he leaves him a pill and water. We see Leto and Jessica in bed together, and she tells Leto he needs to sleep, reaching for one of the pills. He tells her no, not like that, as he crawls his little head on her lap for her to rub her fingers through his hair. I'm not like that. Leto confesses to her that he should have married her. We see the guards right outside get fucking paralyzed, and somehow, as a figure walks over to them, we see that the figure powered down the shields as Leto walks up, sensing something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So Leto goes to check out what happened, and he can call no one. No one can call him. He is completely in the dark. Yeah. So Leto sees a figure lying by the stairs, and before he goes to see, 
he puts on his shield protection and we see that it's shadow who's been stabbed square in the chest and she says something to him but we can't hear as the dart gets thrown at him yeah because by the way the, like these shields like you can't really talk to people like while they're on which i think is kind of like a defect to be honest really i never got that like you can't hear what someone's saying to you oh really did you not notice that no that's why oh i wonder what shadow said then oh well we'll never know and so the protection shield only works for a limited amount of time so before leto sees who darted him the dart is able to go through his back giving him poison that will make him unable to move and we see the figure finally emerge and it was that doctor from, from that the pediatrician that it was him all along and so alarms start blaring and Thanos sees an attack coming from the space from this huge like shuttle in the sky mm-hmm. and so Thanos tells his men to take anything with a gun up flying and so the Harkonnens start blowing up uh, Atreides like ships and buildings or whatever and it's just whole it's getting crazy like they're they're attacking if that makes sense yeah and uh they really had, like, no time to prepare, like, yeah, at all. And no, it's sort of like they said, like, they didn't have any satellites and systems, so mm-hmm. they, like, didn't detect them at all yeah. until they were in atmosphere. And so the Imperial Army gets inside Atreides' home, and the Atreides soldiers fight, but it, they're losing, like, yeah. by a lot. And so everyone's, like, using their protection shield, a good strategy, tire out your opponent, but, like, I don't know. Like, it's boring. It, 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 it seems so weird, because it's, like, it works until it doesn't. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. And uh, we cut to the pediatrician saying sorry to Leto. He's like, I made a bargain with the Baron. Uh, he's like, uh, to buy my wife back and you're the price, you know? Yeah. So I guess the Baron kidnapped his wife. Yeah. And uh, uh, he said he, he said the Baron takes her apart like a doll. And I'm just like... I know. I didn't know what that meant. I assume he's like torturing her. That's crazy. Like cutting her open and whatnot. And then like healing? I don't know. <sighs> Anyway, he tells uh, Leto he'll do whatever he can for Paul, and he takes uh, the ring that Leto used to sign up to get this place anyway, which is, like, I don't know. And so uh, the Peach tells him that he's going to replace his tooth uh, with a peg one, and if you bite down on it, it'll release a poison, and that uh, uh, it'll be your last breath, but if you choose the moment well, it could also be the Baron's. Mm-hmm. So we cut to Paul's room and we see that he's, uh, he did take the sleeping pill. Someone comes into his room screaming and crying. No, they're not screaming and crying. I'm screaming and crying. Oh, you're screaming and crying. I was about to say, no, they didn't. These bullet points are literally like my. Oh, you're, I, I get that. I just didn't get that. I'm sorry. So we cut to Paul's room and we see that, uh, he did take that sleeping pill and someone just comes into his room. Mm-hmm. And next we see the palaces and shambles and the palm trees that we saw earlier on fire and Dave Batista's characters killing all, any survivors they can get his hands on. Mm-hmm. And we see that Idaho is still alive and he makes his way through the halls and is able to take down a few Imperial soldiers by himself. He goes straight to Paul's room only to find that he's gone. <gasps> And so Paul finally wakes up, and him and his mother are being taken by two of the Imperial uh, soldiers. And they plan on just taking him to the de- desert and leaving them there. Uh, one of the soldiers asks why they can't just kill him, and the other explains it's because of the Ben Gesserit. Duh. And the other guy is like, okay, let's kill them and say we didn't. Which, smart. Smart, smart, smart. Deny, deny, deny. Deny, deny, deny. Oldest rule in the book. Literally. So we see Jessica sign to Paul that the scarred soldier is deaf as they take off toward the desert. There's three soldiers in this ship, by the way. Mm-hmm. Two of them are like one's a them. pilot, one's deaf and kind of sitting there. The other one's like the 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 brawn, you know, the yeah. muscle. 
We see Idaho scope out what is left of his home, and then he thinks he can take the soldiers by sneak attacking them. The way Idaho is able to grab a dragonfly plane and fly out of there as a fucking laser just kind of follows him. Yeah. Like, out, like this whole sequence is wild. Uh-huh. We see that Idaho is able to finesse and fly out of danger. So we see Paul and Jessica are straight up not having a good time. And one of the soldiers even, like, wants to assault her, which is, like... Ew. Very ew. And uh, Paul's like, don't touch my mother. And he gets slapped. And uh, Sahara said, when we watched this, it looked like he reacted late to the slap. I feel Mm -hmm. like... Or he reacted too... You said he reacted too early. Mm -hmm. And I said it looked like he reacted late. Like, he got slapped and then jerked his head, you know? But after we watched it a second time, I was like, yeah, he does look kind of late. I don't know. So... Paul wants to use the voice, you know, but his mother signs like, don't even try because you're not ready. And so he's like, he tries. He's like, uh, untie us or untie me right now. Like trying to use the voice. And uh, the guard comes over and just like punches him in the stomach. And his mom signs like, uh, like, find the right pitch, you know. And so Paul starts like breathing to like calm himself down and get the zone for the voice. And the soldier's like, okay, cool. This is far enough. I should just drop Paul off in the desert. And so they go to grab Paul, and he uses the voice. Uh, he's like, uh, 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 and he gets his mom's gag off, like, remove her gag, and he mm-hmm. does it. And then she uses her voice, like, and, uh, oh, whatever. A lot better, to be honest. Yeah. Hers like, Jessica. <laughs> and so Jessica tells the guard to kill the deaf one, which he does, and then starts setting them free. The guard driving, like, the shuttle is like, what the fuck? And he turns around. He puts his hand over her mouth, and she starts biting, and Paul starts kicking, resulting in her mouth, like, getting free, telling everyone to stop and set them free. They do, and she tells, like, oh, she tells the guard who was piloting, like, hand me your knife. And when he does, he, like, take, she takes it and stabs him mm-hmm. and then kills both of them. Mm-hmm. So Jessica starts freeing Paul and tells him your, his voice was too forceful. And honestly, I'm like, this is not the time. Literally. This is not Like, the- I, freed you, I freed you, didn't I? we've been freed and so paul and jessica find what they can on the shuttle and they hear a harkonnen speaking over the radio and once they find out they've been compromised they cripple the ship and that just leaves paul and jessica stranded in the middle of the desert yeah and so paul and jessica start running and uh they say and what's left of their new home which is now all on fire uh is all gone and so now their only way forward is the desert and so next we see leto who's still paralyzed from the poison he's watching the bull mounted above him and uh get it because he's the bull now the bull always dies at the end of the bull fight and so we see the baron just eating food he's like oh oh your kitchens are great by the way i give my compliments to the chef because you know which i think is funny because like homie this was your house up until like it's probably to- because it's his chef i know but i'm like i don't know well he probably took his chef with him and then he's using the atreides as chef now anyway whatever and so we see paul uh, and Jessica, they made this like tent to protect themselves from the sun, and they go through all the bags and stuff that they had. And uh, their pediatrician left them a note that says, "Any survivors?" Uh, he left a beacon for someone to find them, which I guess works out. And so next, we cut back to the Baron, and the uh, the pediatrician is back with the Baron. He's like, "Ah, oh, yes, the traitor. What do you want?" And the pediatrician's like, "I followed your orders to the T. What I want in return is to deliver my wife from her agony." So the Baron starts floating. He floats over to him. Mm-hmm. And it looks really scary. Like, it's kind of like the way, like, spirits, like, float and linger. Oof, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so he goes over and, um... But uh, this is that scene I was talking about where it's like his foot hits the table mm-hmm. when he's floating down. Uh, and the Baron, uh, whatever, he's over there. He's like, I said that you could join your wife. And, uh, he, uh... 
uh, picks the pediatrician up mm-hmm. like by his hair. Yeah. And he's like, and you can join her in death and just kills her. <coughs> yeah, that was wild to me. Yeah. I said, wow. All that for nothing. Yeah, literally all, all that, that for nothing. nothing. Honestly. So Leto is hearing all this and he's like, man, what the fuck? And the Baron goes over to him and he's like, what do you think will happen next? And when they cut back to Paul and Jessica, they're looking for their still suits and they find that, uh, they find everything else they need as well. Mm-hmm. Which well, is, they're looking for still suits. There aren't any, but they have everything but that. Yeah, which is like, great. So we cut back to Leto and the Baron as the Baron tells him, like, oh, for generations, we've always done this, but no, but now no more. And as a result, your son is dead. Your concubine is dead. Tonight, the house of Atreides falls and your bloodline ends forever. And so Leto starts mumbling, and the Baron is like, like wants to hear. He comes over, but he senses like something suspicious. He goes to turn on his protection shield as he leans closer to Leto. Mm-hmm. We cut back to Paul and Jessica going through one more small bag, just as we see Leto say, "Here I am, here I remain." As we get back to Leto using the poison, like he bit on his mm-hmm. tooth and shattered the poison vial, and it uh, severely like. Because he has his shield on, it, mm-hmm. it still got through, but not as much. It mm-hmm. severely wounded the Baron, mm-hmm. but killed everyone else in the room. So it killed the Baron's mentat, mm-hmm. all the guards in the room, mm-hmm. his advisors, mm-hmm. everyone, even including Anne Leto. Mm-hmm. And so we see the mall bag. We see we see that in the small bag was the of like Paul and Jessica's stuff was mm-hmm. like the ring that Leto wore, mm-hmm. and uh, I think Jessica kind of senses that now that Leto is dead and. It's really sad, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, how would you react if I died? I don't even want in to this think situation. See, that makes I don't even want to think about you dying, Christian. That oh, makes thank me you. sad. I appreciate that. So she kind of sneaks uh, into herself and starts crying. She's like, ah. and Paul realizes, like, oh, like what's been done, and they're like, oh, no, we, he realizes what has to be done. Or, well, yeah, he realizes. I was gonna say that he uh, saying he realizes what's been done, but he realizes mm-hmm. like what he has to do now. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he understands the situation he's in. Mm-hmm. We cut back to Leto's dead body as well as others in the room. And we just get, like, a shot of, like, the bull mounted on the wall. And honestly, yar. Thank you. Yar. So we get a shot of Dr. Keynes looking over the ruins of the city that was burned down. And she sees a dragonfly plane land near her. And it's none other than Idaho. And he is pissed. He gets her own knife out and he's like, see what happened here. And she tells him her places to say and see nothing. Idaho pieces together why they're here in the first place and realizes that the emperor sent them here to die. Next, we cut to the room that Leto and everyone else is in, and people start picking up vitals in their futuristic black hazard suits when they hear a choking sound. And they look up, and it's the fucking Baron who survived all of this, naked and afraid. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that? Naked and afraid. Like, even though Leto had the high ground, it just wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. I know, it's crazy, right? Yeah. So we cut back to Paul and Jessica, and he turns on a lantern and finds that there's spice in the tent, and they're and they're about to beat us right now. Definitely. So Paul sees another vision of Zendaya smiling at him, same, as they watch soldiers fighting in battle. We watch this one particular soldier, like, going ham, like, you're dead, and you're dead, dead from the neck up, dead from the neck down. But that's life. That's life. So, so far, like, look at me. So far, what do you think of the movie? Like, be honest. Like, what are your honest thoughts and feelings? I like it so far. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. I uh-huh. do not know. You don't know? Yeah. You don't know? Because I'm like, what's, like, what is leading up to this? You know what I mean? What's a dune? <laughs> 
So we see the soldier take his visor off, and I'm like, I'm like assuming to breathe, and it's our boy Paul. Go Paul. But Paul has the blue eyes, and he is a freeman in this vision. Also, I never noticed this until now, but while this battle is going on, a fucking worm is trying to eat them. Worm. Like, did you not see the worm coming out of, on top? I was like... They pay me in worms. Also, did you notice while he was fighting, he was doing the sand walk? Yeah. So what did you think of all that? I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I was like, heck yes. Because the way he's moving, it's he's doing it. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Literally. So Paul continues to see the Chris knife and burning bodies in a pile, and he tells his mom that is the future that is coming. Paul sees a bloody hand reaching for him, or maybe reaching for something. Literally. He sees dark skies and soldiers celebrating or getting pumped before a battle, as he continues to tell us that war will engulf the entire galaxy. He sees people from a ship look down below at the soldiers, and his mom says that he looks so scared. And I would be too if I found out I was a Jesus figure. Mm-hmm. We see the people on the ships is Paul and Zadea with blue eyes. And I just thought, they are so hot. They said. Like, it's in slow-mo, you guys. And they're just being hot as fuck. They're like... You know what I think of whenever I think they focus on the eyes? What? I think of that one guy. He was like... That, that video of that guy in, like, Central Park. Mm-hmm. You know? He's just like... <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Killed that lady. What? He said... She said, ah! Ah! Now that it cut... Good thing the video ended before anything bad happened. I know, right? Jessica tries calming down, but Paul is getting overwhelmed with visions of Zendaya as he tells Jessica that he sees holy war engulfing the universe. Mm-hmm. A warrior religion that waves the Atreides banner in my father's name. Fanatical legions worshipping at the shrine of my father's skull. A war in my name. As Paul continues to see visions of the same things we have seen before, which is really freaking him out. Like, Paul is that paranoid high that you don't want to be around because it ruins it for everyone. Mm-hmm. Do you not like my joke? It wasn't that funny. Okay, fuck you. I'm kidding. He tells Jessica that everyone is shouting his name, and Jessica speaks in a calm voice to try to get him to relax. And she tells him that he is his father's son, and he is her son. And she tells him that he knows who he is as she hugs him and comforts him. And he full-on <laughs> freaks out at her and uses the voice against her, telling her to stop hugging him. Mm-hmm. And then in his normal angry boy voice, he's like, You made me like this. You and your stupid Ben Jezzeret. Jessica starts crying and Paul kind of seeks into himself as he again, she again holds him close to her because that's her baby. So we see the tent has tubes. Boy moms. Literally, bro. So we see the tent has tubes that fill up with water. And my only thought is like, you know how the still suits and how it repurposes the sweat for water? I think the tent does the same thing. Mm-hmm. So we see Paul put on his father ring, symbolizing that he's ready to take on the role of not only as Duke, but as the liaison L. <coughs> you mean liaison L Gaib? 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 I think it's Gaib. Liaison L Gaib? Liaison L Gaib? That's what I thought. Okay, cool. That's what they said earlier. Liaison. Okay. So we hear this beeping, which wakes Beep. Jessica up, and Paul tells her someone Beep. is close and that she needs to drink water. Beep. So Jessica drinks, right? And she makes a face like, look, this is the only water you have. Let's not be choosy, you know? Mm-hmm. So Paul tells her it's repurposed from the sweat and tears, and he kind of throws some shade when he said tears. Did you notice that? Because Jessica keeps crying. Stop crying, bitch. <laughs> so Paul tells his mom it's time to go, and Paul uses the sand wand thing that Idaho showed him earlier. The sand wand thing. Yeah. I think of that I don't know why but I think of that as like a dousing rod you know those things they used to do yeah like like there was one in Coraline that they were using the oh yeah 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 same energy I know this is insignificant but like we see like a 
a mod deep, which is like a desert mouse. But I love when movies are able to like show us creatures that the author describes, you know, in the book. <laughs> By it, the way, sorry, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. I'll tell you after. It's important, but it is important. Go on. Okay. I was going to say, it just tickles my brain in the best way. Like, I remember reading C.S. Lewis and how he describes his creatures in Out of the Silent Planet and seeing, like, people draw them, but they all somehow all look the same. To me, that's just great storytelling. So, Paul. Okay. He, in, I think, later in the original Dune book and Mm. in, I think, the rest of the books, Mm. he abandons the name Atreides. Mm. To the Fremen, he's known as Paul Madib. I assume that means Paul the Desert Mouse yeah. or something like that. But I just thought you should know that. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> speaking of the Madib, it's just like we get to see how those animals like mm-hmm. operate. Like, and I guess we could tell that the Fremen would like study them and be like, okay, so how do we make a suit out of that? Because mm-hmm. the mouse like drinks its sweat, but it's like drop, like its ears are like really huge, like really big. They're big. And they're big. And. They catch their sweat and it brings it down to its face and then the one just goes like it drinks the water. <laughs> so we see a dragonfly plane fly overhead and we are like friend or foe. And Paul's like, it's Idaho. How do you know that? <laughs> so Idaho hugs them and shares his condolences and they're like, we've been knowing. We and know. Idaho calls Paul the Duke. I really like Paul and Jessica's reaction here. Like, their faces, like, they like they know what Paul is now. It's just that they both have not spoken it out loud to each other. So when we see Duncan says it, it's more like a real of what's to come. Uh-huh. And all I could say is that Becca and Tim are acting Timmy. their asses off here. Because, like, it's their faces that's reacting to the scene, you know? Becca and Timmy are going up. Yeah, like, you know, it's the little things. Yeah. So on the plane, Jessica and Paul meet up with Dr. Keynes again, and she tells him to drink some water. And we learn that the Harkonnen attacked all the cities on the planet, which is so fucking wild. Uh-huh. Like, can you imagine being so petty that you do not want your enemy to escape nowhere, that you blow up other cities on an entire planet? Uh-huh. Like, that's why I don't understand how the Harkonnens have survived this long without trying, like, to be killed. You know? Yeah. Like, maybe I, I just need to read the book to understand the protection, the protection that they have. <laughs> you know? I mean, the thing is, is, like, they're also kind of, like, destroying their own, like, ability to produce spice. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a problem later. Because you saw in the beginning of the film, like, the Fremen were attacking their, like, spice mm-hmm. harvesters. It, you think it gets... You think that problem goes away when Paul starts leading the Fremen? Yeah. No. So Paul and Jessica find out that the Emperor is against him, and they turn to Kynes to find out what her <laughs> side is. She tells him that the Emperor forbids her to speak on such matters, and Paul's like, then why risk your life to save us? So the gang makes it to this outreach place, I guess, while a stand sandstorm is a brewing. So here's what I think. Like that underground thing. I think that was the place like Duncan was talking about earlier. Mm. I can't remember. Like the sand, mm-hmm. whatever it was called. I mm. think that was like that thing. Mm. It just makes sense to me. Yeah. I feel like as he said he found it. It sounds like a perfect place to hide. I think he was alluding to it earlier in the movie. Oh, okay. That's just me, though. So Kine tells them that they should be safe inside while the storm happens, and it turns out the building they are in is an old ecological testing station. Mm -hmm. The purpose for this building was to collect the water far beneath the sand, but when the spice was discovered, the project was abandoned. They said, nah, we got drugs. I know, which is like, I get it, but why not just pick a place where there's no spice or less of it, you know? Like, they even said earlier in the film that there's some more hot spots than others. Yeah. And I'm just like, why didn't they just, you know, dig water in some places and collect spice in others? Literally. 
Kynes asks for still seats for Paul and Jessica, as well as coffee. Same. And Paul's like, what are you to the Fremen? And Kynes just smiles knowingly as Paul, to Paul as she guides them deeper into the station. We, get, we even get a scene of Idaho checking the plant life that is thriving. Then we cut to men spitting into a canister, looking, looking thing to make more water. Mm-hmm. We cut to Paul telling Kynes that the great houses fear what happened to House Atreides will happen to them. He asks her if she would testify against the Emperor over what happened to them, and she tells him that even if they believed her, that there would be warfare against the houses and the Emperor. Paul asks what if he gave the Emperor an option that was better than the chaos that would ensue. Paul thinks that if he marries one of the Emperor's daughters, then maybe there'd be less war. Less. Kynes, I love that the option wasn't even like no war, just less. <laughs> Kynes thinks this is a bad idea because the emperor brought them here to die in the first place so i like i think marrying one of his daughters is not gonna work mm-hmm. paul tells her that the fremen believe in the messiah and basically asks if she believes too and she's like not really and he shows her that he is the one by telling her how she lost her husband in battle and tells her how she has a double life and has many names he tells her that as emperor he could make you can make what a caris Oh, Arrakis. You Arrakis! Looked at, you, you looked at me and I was like, what? Did I Arrakis. Do something? Yeah, Arrakis. Make Arrakis a paradise. We then come back to the guys who were using what? their spit for water finally get drops from the filter as they discuss amongst themselves about Paul and who he is. Also, the thing I was telling you about, about how we could make Arrakis a paradise mm-hmm. when they start terraforming it. Mmm. So one of the men notices that the shadow from above is moving, and we see that the Imperial Army has found them. But as they land, we see one of the cups that the men were drinking is abandoned, so we can assume that they went to go warn the others of what's to come. Mm-hmm. They do not. They do not. So the Imperial Army gets a sneak attack by the people hiding in the sand, and Paul and the gang still in the deep room hear what's going on, and it doesn't sound good. Idaho gets prepared to fight as Duncan Idaho sacrifices himself for the Atreides household. He said... Paul screams for him as both Jessica and Kynes trying to find the secret passage out of here. We see Idaho fight a losing battle, but he still gets up and fights because he knows if he goes down, he's taking as many as he can with him. And can I just say that this is Momoa's best performance? Like, I was so sad to see him go. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I knew it was coming, but I still wish there was just another way. Mm-hmm. Also in Lich film, he kind of just gets shot and it's over. But in this film, he like goes out like a hero. Yeah, which like I, I do appreciate because mm-hmm. I remember you telling me that the first time mm-hmm. we watched this. So the Imperial Army starts lasering the door to get in where Paul, Jessica, and Kynes are. Jessica. And there's an exit but on the other side of the laser, which kind of pissed me off the first time I saw it. Like, jump over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Idaho is able to stop the lasering because in his last dying adrenaline, he kills all the soldiers and then fucking dies. What a badass. Crazy, bro. Mm-hmm. We cut to Paul and Jessica and Kynes running into the tunnel. They all stop at a crossroads as Kynes hands them their still suits and tells them there is a flyer outside they can use. She says that the storm is their best chance to escape. She tells them to fly above the storm and stay on top and find the freeman. Both Jessica and Paul are shocked to find she's not coming with them. She tells them that the plane only sits two people, and she has to report the attack, and Jessica's like, how? And Kai's finally admits out loud, even though everyone knew that she's a Fremen, and the desert is her home. She tells them good luck as they all go their separate ways. Kai sees a sand worm and goes out into the desert, just as Paul and Jessica climb into their flyer. Paul is able to get the mug, this mug off the ground as the Imperial soldier watches. Mm-hmm. 
So we see Kynes uh, put like a thumper into the ground and it checks the sandstorm as she replies to ride it. She's gonna ride it. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's awesome. Like, how does somebody come up with that? Literally. Insane. But as she watches the worm get closer, preparing to ride it, a soldier stabs her in the back and she rolls down the hill. Like, honestly, this death is so sad. I was like, ugh. Wow. Are you kidding? Literally. So the soldier goes to finish the job and they tell her that she is a traitor. And she tells him that she only serves one master and it's the Shai Halud. The sandworm. Isn't that crazy? And so the ground starts uh, pounding, or she starts pounding into the sand. And the worm is like, say less. And the worm just shows up and uh, sees where they all are and swallows all four of them. There's three soldiers and then kinds. So. As they are about to fly into the storm, Jessica sees that they're being followed by the Imperial Army. And so Paul uh, goes faster as they send missiles toward them. And Paul is like, oh, I think I can lose them in the sand. But the process of doing so, their plane gets destroyed anyway. And so Jessica starts saying uh, uh, her, I'm not scared mantra, even though she is obviously scared. Mm-hmm. And Paul gets a vision of... Jameis. Uh, Jameis. Paul gets a vision of Jameis as a voice tells him to see his friend. We hear the voice of Jameis, which we haven't seen yet, and he says that the mystery of life isn't a problem to solve, but a reality to experience. And honestly, honestly, uh, I thought the line was a little, eh, like, it was a little weird. I thought the line was very, like, this is definitely coming from the book. This is booky. Yeah, this, yeah. It's giving from the book. I don't know, I was like, whatever, man. Anyway, Jameis continues to say a process that cannot be undone by stopping it. Uh, we must move with the flow of the process. We must join it. We must flow with it. And this is being spoken as we see like sand moving and flowing around them and like starting to vibrate as Paul uh, gets pulled out of the vision and, and as the voice tells him to let go. And so he listens by letting go of the stirring and just holding on for dear life. And honestly, Jessica, like, if you were her, would you be freaking out right now? Oh, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? She's so calm. Yeah. He lets go of the thing. He's like, okay, vibes. We're vibing now. It's a vibe. And so the plane is just like... They're still on the plane, by the way. I forgot to mention that. But they're still on the plane this whole time. And it's uh, spinning and falling all while the sandstorm is going on. And it's completely chaotic. And it gets cut off by silence mm-hmm. of the next scene. And so, Sahara, this whole like chase scene... It's not even really chase scene, really. Mm-hmm. But this whole... like They're like continually on the run. Mm-hmm. Like, What does that make you think of? Mm, I don't know. No? Like, continually on the run. You know how, like, when a Jesus was a boy and, like, his parents had to move a lot because they're like, oh, we can't let the soldiers find you because you're the savior. I don't know. Is that what you're referencing? No. I was just like, I mean, you could, I guess, but it's not, not a bad comparison there to be honest yeah no, I was just asking honestly what what do you think about that oh that's a good like like it's good I mean I'm not bored by it yeah yeah I'm like oh god where are they gonna go to next are they gonna find the freeman like that's what I'm thinking you know yeah so we finally found out what happened to the Baron, and the poison did affect him, just didn't kill him. So now he's taking, like, this tar bath as his nephew tells the Baron, who's completely submerged in this tar, by telling the Baron that Paul and Jessica were chased into a storm. He tells the Baron they could not chase them into the storm because it was too dangerous, and there was no way those two could have survived that. 
The Baron comes out of his tar bath, and the Baron is like, okay, cool, start calling our investors and tell them that Spice is back on. Baron tells his nephew that income is the only thing that matters because using the Imperial Army to get their shit back was hella expensive. Mm-hmm. His nephew is like, all right, what about the Fremen? And the Baron is like, oh, just kill them. them. Just kill them all as he submerged back into the black tar. Tar bath. So we cut back to Paul and Jessica just spinning. And I would have thrown up by now. And Paul and her, they're like above 5,000 meters. And he turns on the jets and flies them up above the storm they almost start falling again but paul puts the wings out so now they're just gliding on wings and prayers mm-hmm. paul tells his mom that as soon as they land they need to run for the rocks but the wing that was guiding them finally gives out and they just kind of crash land into the desert which is not good less than ideal both paul and jessica get their shit and run toward the rock as the sun beats down on them mm-hmm. they get their still suits out and start changing as both paul and jessica both glance at each other but at different times to change but the energy the vibes it's nasty, i just want to say why wasn't she putting hers on while they were like in the thing you know i just would like to say why are they looking at each other like that? like christian they literally both went to yeah. their backs to each other I'm not trusting the vibes. It's gross. So once they both have their suits on, Paul checks to see if his mom's is working right and tells her that she will breathe through those nose things. And we see a sandstorm go by. and Paul, Sandworm. A sandworm go by and Paul tells his mom that they have to find the Fremen. So they start walking and Paul knows that the Fremen are watching them and can even see Idaho living among them, which I think is wishful thinking on his part. Literally. So Paul starts having visions of Zendaya again. Same. And they are looking at those desert mice together as a voice tells them not to be frightened. And the voice turns into Zendaya's telling Paul that even a desert mouse can survive. The voice continues to tell him to follow a friend. And we see that the friend is Jameis. And we see visions of Paul and Jameis working together and telling Paul that he has much to learn and that he will show, show the ways of the desert to Paul. So Paul and Jessica have to walk on sandworm territory. And he tells uh, Jessica... Uh, this is the same CH. So I was wrong, by the way. That wasn't the thing that Idaho found. Uh, it was just a good guess. Mm. And uh, he points out the same CH Idaho lived in with the Fremen. And Jessica has binoculars and points out that there's a greenery out there. So that must be, be where the Fremen live. So Paul tells his mom we'll cross after dark because that's what the Fremen do. Paul tells his mom that they have to sand walk. And to follow him, they walk across the desert from midnight. Or, sorry, no, from midnight. From nightfall where Paul checks the compass that Idaho gave him. Paul thinks they are going the right way as they continue up the sand dune. When they make it up to the top, they find more sand across. Desert world, who would have thought. <laughs> so they sit and rest for a while, and then they then hear a distant rumbling, like, ah, shit. So the worm uh, goes by, uh, goes nowhere near them, but both Paul and Jessica are thinking that was way too close for comfort as they continue walking. Paul feels uh, that they're close when they step on uh, drum sand, which uh, calls the worm right toward him. Paul tells his mother to run, and they both look at the sand, just keep getting bigger and bigger behind them. The sandworm, though, it's not the sand. They keep seeing the worm get bigger. Jessica is first to make it to this rock thing as she watches Paul run for his life, and we, like, start to see the mouth of this worm mm-hmm. going towards him, you know? And so Paul makes it to the rock, and the sandworm just stops and looks at them, and this is the first time we really get to see, like, the whole worm, mm-hmm. like, up close, and not just the thing moving under the surface. It's very, like, in, in, intense, you mm-hmm. know? Like, it's a very intense sight. Yeah. And uh, 
uh, Sahara pointed out that uh, this is like the Alaskan bullworm <laughs> episode of Spongebob. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but this worm is completely CGI. And did you know that this took like a whole year for them to like make it look right, you know? They did. They really? did. Yeah. That's crazy. So we hear rhythmic thumping and Paul Thump. concludes that someone put a thumper on to draw the worm away. Just as like that's great, sweetie, and they go deeper into like these rock the cavern things, thumper. and we get this weird moment between those two. I cannot prove it, but I definitely think those two fucked. Paul and his mom. No. Oh, who? Who? Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson. So Paul and his mom. <laughs> but I mean, like the actors. Oh my god! Just the vibe that they have for each other is so fucking sexual. I'm like, what the fuck? So Paul signs to his mother that they are not alone, and we see Fremen come up to them, but doesn't say anything more. Like, it's just watching them. Mm -hmm. We hear more footsteps as more Fremen show themselves. Yeah. We hear Stilgar tell Paul and Jessica not to run, and that it will only waste their body's water. And Paul tells Stilgar that he knows who Paul is, because Paul was there when Stilgar came and met his father. Stilgar's like, oh, and Jameis is like, what are we waiting around for? And Stilgar is like, nah, remember this kid I told you about? We can't touch him. We can't touch him. The members of Stilgar's clan ask how this kid can be the messiah, and Jameis says that he has to prove himself while pulling a blade out. Stilgar tells Jameis that Paul and Jessica made an incredible feat going across the desert in warm territory, and that should speak on Paul's bravery. Mm -hmm. So we find out that it was Jameis's thumper that lured the worm away, not Paul, and that it's that it is enough evidence to show that Paul is not the one. Jessica, sensing this conversation going nowhere, tells the Fremen that if they saw her and Paul off safely to Caladan, then Stilgar and his people will, will be well rewarded. Stilgar is like, okay, what is more valuable than water that is already in your flesh? Jessica being like, wow, and that's is dark, gets closer to Paul as some Fremen start to stand who were sitting before. Stilgar speaks on Paul's behalf, saying that he is young and he can still learn the ways of the Fremen, unlike Jessica, who's too old to learn. So Stilgar starts attacking Jessica, but Jessica can't defend herself. Yes, queen. Yes, yes queen. queen. Paul sees an opening and starts climbing higher up the rock as Jessica has Stilgar ready to cut his throat. The Fremen go closer to her, but Stilgar tells them to back down or else she will do it. Mm -hmm. Paul having Jameis's gun points up top as Stilgar asks why Jessica didn't mention she was a good fire fighter. She tells him that the conversation ran short. Stilgar uh, calls for peace and admits that he judged too hastily. Stilgar st tells everyone that the sun is rising and that the fate of Jessica and Paul will be decided when they reach their stitch. Mm -hmm. Stilgar tells his people that he has their word as he cuts himself as others do the same. So we finally, finally see Zendaya as she tells Paul that she never would have let him hurt her people. Paul is shocked. He is gagged that he finally sees the girl he's been having visions about. And she tells him that he heard that Paul is like super important, but he looks like a little piss baby. Mm -hmm. So she's not that impressed and tells him that he chose the hardest way up to the top and to follow her lead. I love how her eyes are like, babe, I will follow you anywhere. Literally. Like, to, like he is like thinking that. He's <laughs> but like, you remember bad lip reading? Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay, well, they have one for Dune. And they uh -huh. also have a song that Paul sings through that. And it's honestly a bop. Oh, my God. It's just so sad, jazzy, and sexual in the wrong reasons. Oh, my God. I've listened to You're it twice. Menace. I listened to it twice today. Menace. Bro, it's so good. 
So Paul catches up with Stilgar, and he asks for the gun, and Paul hesitates, and Stilgar is like, look, you can have one when you've earned one. So Paul gives it back, and we learn that Zendaya's character name is Chani, like I said earlier. And uh, she's in charge of making sure Paul and Jessica make it safely toward their journey home. Uh, Jameis is pressed and tells Stilgar that they cannot come and that this whole situation is unfair. Stilgar tells Jameis to chill and Jameis is like, I only listen to leaders who are strong and Jessica beat you, so I invoke the Amtal. Also, I love how Jessica is like, oh, you want a piece of me? She's like, yeah, yeah. Mm-mm. <laughs> and Stilgar is like, okay, cool, but you can't fight her. And Jameis is like, okay, well, I'll fight whoever fights in her name. Stilgar tells Jameis that there's no time for this and the night is almost over. And Jameis is like, uh, tell, uh, is like, that's great. Then the sun will witness whoever takes her place. Paul walks up and Jameis is like, nice, I accept. So the sun rises uh, like the Teletubby sun. And uh, uh, as Fremen uh, start clearing up rocks so Paul and Jameis can fight. Which, how nice. I know, right? So Paul gets a vision that he loses his fight and dies as he hears a voice that tells him Paul Atreides must die. Spooky. I know. So the voice tells him that he must die to be reborn into something greater and to not be scared and resist what must happen. The voice also tells him that when he takes a life, he must take his own. So Paul starts getting ready to fight as Jessica kind of just tries hard not to cry as she watches Chaney go over to Paul. Chaney tells Paul... Chaney. Chaney? Yes, Chaney. What have I been saying? Chaney. Oh. Chaney tells Paul that she doesn't believe he is a messiah that was promised, but she does not want him to die with honor and hands him a Chris knife, the literal exact one he's been seeing in his visions. Chaney uh, explains that it was passed down to her by her great aunt and that it's made from the tooth of the great sandworm. Chaney tells him that it's a great honor to die while holding it. Did you mean to say, like, die without honor? Die with honor. Oh. She wants him to die with honor. Oh, but oh, but she does want him to die with honor. Earlier, I said, but she doesn't want him to die with honor. It's, it's fine. Yeah, she does want him to die with honor. My bad, you guys. So, um, what would you do, like, if you had this deja vu moment? We've done this before. That's exactly. So what I was like, saying. huh? I'd be like, we've done this before. So I was like, I, I already, I know. I just think it's so cute because you know how sometimes we're like, okay, when well, then what were you thinking? Because he already knows that. The same energy as like an end game when they went back in time and cap and the twenty fourteen cap was like, I can do this all day, and the pre- and the present cap was like, I know. Same energy. Anyway, Jameis is screaming for Paul to get the show on the road, while Chani is tells Paul that Jameis is a good fire and that he, he won't let Paul suffer. Which is crazy because, like, what if some, you like, you were about to fight someone and, like, your boo was like, oh, yeah, don't worry. It, it, you won't feel a thing. You'll die quickly. Thank you. Thank you. Rude. Uh, and Paul finally talks to Chani, but when she is listening, he's like, never mind. Which is crazy because, like, come on, bro, you're this close. And not only that, but, like, you can really tell, like, he cares for her already. You yeah, know? Like, like, he's getting tongue-tied. He said, ah. he said Zendaya. She looked, he gagged him, to be honest. I know. So Paul goes to fight Jameis, and literally everyone is watching. So Jameis say, may thy knife chip and shatter, and Paul just kind of crosses his arms and then holds it over his head. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, it's literally in the trailer. Not the movie trailer. Jameis tells Paul that he should welcome Jameis's blade, since that is their way. Jameis continues to taunt Paul by saying this this world that Paul knows nothing about will kill him, and that in this way of combat will be quicker and payless. And it literally just hit me that this is a mercy killing, and they think it's best that making Paul and Jessica live is like watching them suffer. That's so crazy to me. Mm-hmm. So the Fremen say in unison that 
means it's time to start the combat to the death thing. And Jameis hits Paul with his fist to knock him over. Paul is able to block Jameis's blade from hitting him. Jameis is surprised that Paul is still alive this long as Paul wipes blood from his nose. Like, he didn't get punched in the face or anything. I think his nose is bleeding only because of the adrenaline as well as the heat. Mm-hmm. So Jameis goes in again with his blade and Paul is able to move out of the way of it and block. Jameis is able to get Paul on the ground, but when he goes for the stab, Paul is able to roll away and kick Jameis to the floor. Paul and Jameis are both able to get back up, and this time Paul goes for the stab, but Jameis is able to back up and strike, but Paul blocks it. Paul then gets the upper hand by bringing the knife to Jameis's throat and screams to yield. Everyone is like, ooh. Kind of like an iCarly or Victorious in like that fake ooh. audience kind of way. <laughs> They're like, ooh. <laughs> Stilgar is still tells Jessica that Paul does not know their way, and this is not how this combat by death goes. Stilgar tells Jessica, but mostly us, that under the Amtal, there is no yielding. Only death is the true test. So Jameis screams in Paul's face and is able to get Paul's blade away from his throat. But Paul has a pretty good grip on James' wrist, Jameis's wrist, so Jameis can't hurt him. Jameis is able to pull away and strike his blade, but Paul blocks it again and is able to get the Paul's knife back on Jameis's throat. Jameis is frustrated, gets the knife away, and starts going to strike, but again, Paul is able to get the knife back on Jameis's throat. Stilgar gets annoyed and asks Jessica if Paul is toying with Jameis on purpose, and she tells him no, he's just trying to do the right thing, and admits that Paul has never killed anyone. Jameis is able to knock Paul away, and Paul lands on his butt. Paul is able to get up as Jameis just, as Jameis just screams at him, and we get the dramatic Kirk homo music. Paul gets another vision. That's so Paul is what this movie is turning into. That's so Raven. <laughs> so Paul sees the bloody hand again and the body's on fire, and then the bloody hand holding the crisk knife. The voice tells Paul to climb up and rise. Cutting out of the vision, Paul sees Jameis coming, steps, a- steps out of the way, and stabs him in the back. Jameis groans on the floor as the Fremen look pissed as hell, and Jessica is just devastated. Not because someone is about to die, but I think Paul will never be the same after this. What do you think? I don't know. I think this is, like, the the death of, like, you know, this is, like, Paul, like, becoming, like, a new person. And yeah. Not, like, Paul Atreides at the beginning of the film is not the Paul Atreides we see now. Yeah. You know? So Paul goes up to Jameis and takes his hand as he watches Jameis's die, which means Paul's visions can be wrong. And you can literally see the whole, oh, you chose the wrong choice thing kind of pop up. Yeah. I'm also very excited to see where this consequence goes because Jameis was supposed to teach him about the desert. Mm-hmm. So what happens now? Mm-hmm. So Paul walks away really upset as everyone pats him on the back in slow-mo. Even Chani is like, oh, shit, dude. Fuck. So Stilgar calls to Paul and tells him that he is now a part of their tribe now. A life for a life. And now Paul gets to follow them and Jessica's like, no, he needs to leave this planet. And she tells Stilgar that he must have someone that can help them. And then Paul tells his mom no and tells her that the Emperor sent them here. And that Leto came not for spice and not for riches. And he definitely came for that. Why do you think he was so worried about the numbers in the beginning? We're not going to worry about that. Go on. So Paul tells everyone that Leto came because of the strength of the Fremen. Paul continues by saying that his road leads into the desert and tells Stilgar that Paul can see just that. And that if Stilgar will still have them, Paul and Jessica will both come. So we see the Fremen go to bury Jamis. Jamis. Jamis? Mm-hmm. I said Jamis earlier. 
So we see the Fremen go to bury Jameis. We see the Fremen walk across the dune with Jessica and Paul in tow. Uh, Chani stops to let Paul catch up with her as we finally see people riding sandworms. Which, yeah. woo! Do you think that was Dr. Keynes? Do I think that was what? The person riding the sand, the sandworm. Mm, I think she's dead. We never saw the face, so. Mm. And Paul's like, wow, desert power. And Chani's like, this is only the beginning. Because get it, Doom Part 1. We finally get to see the vision of Chani with her face and the sun happen in real time. And she walks away and Paul stares after her like, mm, ooh, Zendaya. <laughs> Jessica watches this interaction and she doesn't seem too happy about it. Like, um... Ma'am, that's your son. <laughs> why are you jealous? And so they all continue in one line towards the home of the Fremen. The, the end. end. Welcome oh my to Dune, y'all. That was a great episode. Oh my goodness. So... Do you think this film is faithful to the book? From what we've seen so far? Um, yeah. Yeah? I, I mean, I don't know. It kind of sticks with the main things. It doesn't divert mm-hmm. too much from what I can understand. Yeah. Not that I read the book, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of everybody's performance? Really good. They all yeah. put on a great show. I know they really did. Especially uh, Rebecca Ferguson. Mm-hmm. I really loved her. What did you think of the visual effects? I thought they were really good. I like the worms, and I like I like the sand, honestly. Really? It's coarse and rough, and it gets everywhere. I really like the sand worm, too. That was probably my favorite aspect of it. Like, they made them so scary. Like, I would not want to be near that thing. Ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, oh my gosh. So, what did you think of the desert life? Like, how the people survive, as well as the tools that help them to survive? I can tell they really, like, did their research making the film, to be yeah. honest. And making the writing of the book, honestly. Because mm-hmm. I remember we were talking earlier, um, the author of the book, he did a really good job like, researching, like, desert mm-hmm. cultures and how they, like, survive and conserve water in, like, yeah. really harsh conditions. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I think my favorite aspect of that is, like, probably the stool suits. Such a good idea. Literally. Like, they thought of everything, you know? And then my second favorite thing is probably when those men were spitting into that canister to just get some ounce of water. Literally. That's so crazy. Which I feel like is counterproductive, though, because you're using your own water. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's being filtered out, I'm assuming. Mm, I don't know. Seems, Seems counterproductive. So what do you think of the Christ slash Savior archetype? Like, even the legend that kind of leads up to it. Awfully convenient. Probably because, you know, we are seeing the chosen one, basically. Literally. Like, white man, you are special. What in the white man Savior complex? <laughs> so that's all the questions I have. Really? Yeah. Well, I have a couple. Okay, go for if it. If you wouldn't mind. Yeah, go for it. So what do you think of, like, the world of Dune? Mm-hmm. Like, and not even just Dune, like, everything else. Like, you seem surprised when I told you that they weren't using spice for, like, to power ships. I think the world is very interesting, and I want to dive into it so bad. But like I said, there's so much information as to why does this happen, and mm-hmm. why does this happen. Like, I can really tell if the author thought of every little thing. Let's get the navigators high. Like, to me, that is so crazy definitely you know like i just like what you know okay and then second one what world that we see would you rather live on i could not survive dune i want to live in caladan easy answer easy answer i don't know i 
don't know. It just seems like it's really counterproductive for the Harkonnens to destroy all that shit. Yeah. I mean, they you can't tell me they were only just destroying, like, military stuff. I guess they already thought, like, oh, we'll just rebuild Granted, it. I guess they did take a lot of the spice stuff with yeah. them. But, like, that would have set off some alarm bells, I feel like. So are there any more questions that you have for me? Uh, really just, how do you feel this adapted the book? Like, based on both of our limited, like, mm-hmm. knowledge of the book, how well do you think this movie did? Um, based on what I know, I think the film did pretty well, considering. Yeah. I hate science fiction, and I loved this movie. That's good. Yeah. Like, it's such a hard genre for me to get into, but I was, like, super interested in Dune. No, yeah, totally. I guess that really just leaves the final question, honestly. Mm-hmm. Sarah, mm-hmm. what would you rate this movie? Same time. Well, right. we should probably ask ourselves so Puff Puff Pass or Puff Puff Smash. Oh, well, yeah. Puff Puff Smash or Puff Puff Pass? Smash! Pass. So. <gasps> okay, Smash. I was smash. about to say, bro. Bro. And okay, you ready to rate it? Alright, on three. Ready? One, two, three. Eight. Nine. 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 I love this movie. It's an eight. Dog. I'm so excited for when the next one comes out later this it's a, year. It's a whole eight, bro. What are you talking about? It's definitely a nine. Well, the power ratings are like so close all mm-hmm. the time. I know. Well, it's officially 2023 now. We are 31 minutes into it by the time of this recording. Um, I haven't showered since last year. I haven't kissed you since last year. It's not true. You kissed me, like, right when it hit midnight. Oh, okay. I thought I could get a trick another kiss from you. No. Anyway, thank you all for listening so much. Yeah, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can rate us and just tell us that you're listening. We are the couple that is smoking on the background. If you just like to say hi to us, you can email us at puffpuffpodcast23 at gmail.com. And we can be found on Twitter at puffpasspodcast, as well as Tumblr at puffpuffpasspodcast. Christian. Yep. What are we doing next week? Next week? Next week's going to be a little different. For mm-hmm. the first time ever in Puff Puff Pass history. <laughs> We are doing not a movie, but a show. Mm-hmm. We are going to be doing three episodes of the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone. I hope to see all there. I picked out what I think are some really good episodes. You guys are gonna love them. Some of them are my personal favorites. I wanted to do five. I tried to negotiate with Sahara down to four, <laughs> but she just wanted to do three. So I was like, all right, well. But I will recommend you some other episodes I think you all should watch. But if you want a little sneak peek as to what we're talking about, one of the episodes is about... Do you remember? Mm-mm. You don't remember? I told you yesterday. Okay. Alright, well, not one of our episodes, but one of the episodes we'll be talking about is The Arrival. So, Ooh. if you can go and try and find that episode. I believe it's on season 2 or season 3 of The Twilight Zone, wherever you can stream it. It's a really good episode. One of my personal favorites. And it will be one of the ones we're talking about tomorrow. Woo! By tomorrow, I mean next week. 
<laughs> All right, guys. Have a great start to your January. Continue with us with sci-fi. Whoop whoop. Ooh, tell them bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>